0: Hi there, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Frankie 411 podcast. I'm your host, Haley Oversack. This episode, I have Jahan Sator. Jahan is a self-sabotage and mindfulness coach, and we have a very interesting conversation about some of the things that I know I need to work on when it comes to self-sabotage. And I do certainly hope that the examples we have for me are ones that you can resonate with and maybe find a little something that is useful for you. We do have a great conversation, and I do hope you enjoy it. So thank you so much for joining us. This is another episode of the Frankie 411 podcast. I have Jahan Satar here with us. And Jahan, if you could just let us know a little bit about what you do. I know you are a self-sabotage and mindfulness coach, um, but tell us a little bit about what that entails and how you got started.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Jahan Sattar, as you've said, and uh, I am a complimentary therapist, accredited self sabotage coach um that really entails using a lot of different tools to help people break their self sabotaging thoughts beliefs and patterns of behavior and so it includes a lot of traditional therapy techniques cognitive behavioral therapy hypnotherapy um there's a lot of people who are self sabotaging their health um So I have to get into nutrition and fitness and all kinds of different areas.
0: That's a lot of different, um, that's a lot of knowledge base that you kind of have to have and draw from in order to sort of help people. But I I mean, I think that's a good thing because you can be very specific to what someone needs, which is good. So I do want to talk a little bit more too about the hypnotherapy because that fascinates me. But how did you, what was your sort of journey into this? sort of life path that this is what I want to do. I want to help people. And with self-sabotage specifically, you know, I think we all come from a place of the things that we had to learn. So is this self-sabotage something that you also had to overcome?
1: Absolutely. I was the expert at (laughs) self-sabotage. I was a touring musician about 15 years ago. And then my journey really started about 12 years ago where I was at a gig one night and this guy taps me on the shoulder and I was bossing around the sound engineer and he says to me, I notice you have a tremendous affinity for leadership. Have you ever heard of coaching? And I was like, what? And I just kind of gave him the finger I said, hey, hold on one second. Yeah. And I finished talking to the sound guy and then when I turned around, I said, okay, so you want to tell me about coaching, and he was gone. And I was like, so where was, he go.
0: Wait, "Was he really there? Did I did a ghost just come up to me and exactly. tell me what to
1: do?" <laughs> and I, yeah, exactly. And I looked for him, and I, I guess he he left, or maybe that was a figment of my imagination. But I went home and I looked it up, and I just, for the very first time in my life, I found Tony Robbins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of people back then were kind of like, "Duh, you idiot." You never heard of Tony Robbins, and I was like, no, because I don't use the smartphones or. Well, and if you're anything. not in that
0: sphere, you're you can't be yeah. expected to know all the things, right? You know, yeah, just because I, he's a big name doesn't mean you know who it is.
1: Yeah, I, I recognized him from Shallow Hell, the movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Like, ah, that, that guy? Too. That guy.
1: Um. Uh, yeah. And um. Yeah. I really just focus only on music. And at that time, I was dealing with a lot of different stuff, like getting over uh, drinking and other addictions and things like that. And that was definitely self-sabotage. So yeah. I just, through that experience, I started working on myself really intensely and decided to get certified just to check it out, see what it would be like. And um you know, it turns out it's for me. I got stuck doing it. And, you know. Yeah. All those different tools and stuff that I so
0: whoever that was that tapped on your shoulder all those years ago was obviously meant to have done it right even yeah. if it, you know whether they were a figment of your imagination or not doesn't really matter. They sent you on the on the right path,
1: yeah, exactly, so you know all those different tools and stuff that I acquired came along because I realized exactly how unprepared I was once I started doing it ten years ago, and I it just sent me down this path of study nonstop even Mm -hmm. to this day I still study
0: well it's always a process isn't it we're all evolving and and the tools that we can use are evolving all the time um you know so the hypnotherapy I I assume you are also like certified in right yeah it's
1: my favorite thing
0: is it okay can we talk a little bit about because I have considered looking into hypnotherapy uh, for myself for you know it, it is that um negative self-talk right and and I'm I feel like I'm in a very good place in terms of my journey and where I've been the things I've been working through but I think I, I, sometimes we need a little boost or some extra help because it's not always easy to examine yourself right sometimes you need an outside perspective um so can you talk a little bit about like what is that process for the hypnotherapy and I guess what what is the thing that you're kind of looking for in in a client what what are you sort of trying to i don't know suss out i guess you might say
1: well that's a very broad question and i feel like i would need a little bit more context to say specifics of that but what i can say to kind of help you ask me a different question would yeah. be that what isn't dominated by the subconscious mind so hypnotherapy is essentially the study of the subconscious mind what it is, what it does, how to hack it for good or for evil,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And um, very often the changes that we need to make are not at the cognitive level. So that is why traditional therapy fails so often. Right. And we see well-intentioned people on both ends, the therapist or the patient, client, going to endless sessions and not making any change it's because they haven't made any change to the mechanism that is the real source of it and so there's a law in hypnotherapy called the law of reversed effect where it says that nothing can be overrided consciously you you have to make a change to the subconscious you cannot consciously change anything any patterns that you try to change the stories that were told in the personal development world about repetitive actions, it really doesn't get to the deepest level of the subconscious to change it. That's why you can always self-sabotage and spiral backwards at any time during that method. Right.
0: Okay. So, but this is interesting to me because, you know, so it, that's, I think uh, something that a lot of people might deal with is, you know, you have these mechanisms or techniques like positive affirmations and you can tell yourself something and tell yourself something, you can academically, intellectually sort of understand it, or, you know, I believe in that I get it. But there's still something that is blocking me from feeling that positive affirmation in the way that I want to. And so I guess that's kind of what I what I'm getting at, or what I'm looking for is the, you know, obviously there's those things that are, that are sort of, you, you don't have a way to get to, well, what is blocking me? What is in my way? What, why am I continuing to self-sabotage? Um, So, it, you know, when you're working with clients, I guess, do you have, I don't know, s- sort of questions that you might ask to help them understand that? Or is it something that you can really only help them get to it from that subconscious level? And if that is, the case I mean what what are your recommendations for people then like go find a hypnotherapist like go out right now and go get one or you know what would you what would you say people should do
1: it's specific to each person that I can say for sure
0: mm-hmm. so
1: there's no one size fits all question that can open a person up but usually because everyone is really and truly their own best psychologist. Usually the person knows what's going on. Usually if I say, hey, what, so what's the challenge for you? What do you feel like you need my help for? Uh, where do you see this going? A person will say, okay, well, you know, X, Y, Z wow. is the case. I do this in my relationships. I do that in my um health. I, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds and mm-hmm. I keep ending up at Dunkin' Donuts every morning and I eat a big donut.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And, you know, a cup of coffee that's like.
0: So I have the these behaviors you know? that I know are not helpful to me. I try, I, you know, I try to let them go or override them. So I guess that's the like you're saying, you can't override it by your brain mm-hmm. saying, I choose to override it.
1: No. And you've touched on the positive affirmations thing. The mm-hmm. people that tell you about the, about the positive affirmations, they either know and they don't want to tell you or they don't know, and so they can't tell you, that there's a particular language of the subconscious. And so a positive affirmation like, I am enough, it Mm -hmm. sounds great. You can say, I'm going to have a wonderful day. Right. You can jump around and clap your hands and do all the motivational things, and you might feel good for a moment, but that's not enough to change it because the language of the subconscious is literally very grammatically correct, the statement would be, I am enough, comma, no, full stop. Or I am enough, comma, yes. So if you're a person, you feel like you have to say, I am enough to jazz yourself up. Mm -hmm. Your subconscious mind is constantly correcting you and saying, no, that's not what's in here. And the more you say, I am enough, the more it says no. (laughs) And it's just back there going, me talking
0: about right you know and i so that's something that i feel like (laughs) i do deal with and i'm sure a lot of people deal with it's that sort of duality of i'm really you know practicing being positive practicing being grateful practicing getting into a good feeling space and i can get there but i can't hold it do you know what i'm like you can't sustain it this there's this Sometimes I I don't even really understand or can define the energy. I just know that it's like an icky feeling, right? Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. that like okay, this Something's is Something's just old. gnawing
1: at you beneath the surface,
0: right? And I can't sort of name it, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that so it's difficult to release it or replace it when I look at it and I'm like, okay, but I have all of these this positivity in my mind. What are you? You know, so. Yeah. I guess, can you speak to that a little bit and maybe, you know, how that's part of what you work with, sort of getting to, I guess, the root of things?
1: Yeah, so we have to get to the root in terms of what are you anchored to if it's something emotional. And I'm not speaking about just childhood trauma. That is a narrative that has been given to us by the psychology industry because, you know people would start breaking down their doors and with pitchforks and stuff if they didn't have all the answers right mm-hmm. so we noticed that in society everything is oh it must be childhood trauma oh you stubbed your toe and you cried for three days about it it must be childhood trauma maybe you just <laughs> you know you yeah. stubbed your toe when you were five and you still remember that or something mm-hmm. you know um, daddy dropped me on the head when I was five mommy yeah. was in the kitchen baking cookies And now I can't stand the smell of cookies. You know, that's the kind of logic that goes on behind that. But a lot of the time, it's our repetitive thinking patterns that we pick up in the way of resolving our childhood programming. Because what happens if we go through these stages of development? And so people... Um, this is why it, it's such a non-specific answer that I can give to, to that question because it's so broad. Anything can happen. I've had clients who um, the reason why they can't stop smoking is because their favorite TV show, uh, everybody's Smoking Cigarettes, right? I've had people okay. who, because the subconscious mind emulates what it sees on the screen. It can't tell the difference between reality and what is on a screen. Right, you can't tell the difference between what's a reality and imagined, right? Right. So, even when you listen to music and you hear the instruments playing, your subconscious mind goes, "Oh, that's me playing that." You see yourself in the position of the drummer, the guitar player, the singer, yeah. Right? And so you begin to emotionally identify with the words that are being said in the song. Um, the the modes of music come from the word mood, essentially, mm-hmm. or vice versa. And so, whatever is the mood of the music, if you have those memories that are linked to emotions and you just recall whatever your brain brings up from any period of life, mm-hmm. you begin to reinstall that same programming, right? So, it's essentially right. uh, a dangerous world that we live in, and anything could be the cause, anything could be at the root of it. And so, so um, Let me just finish this by saying, so you can ask your question, that we go through these phases of development as a child from, we know about zero to seven, which is where they say the childhood trauma thing begins. But from seven to 14, we're testing that actively. That's Mm -hmm. why little kids begin to push their boundaries and they begin to say no. And they, you know, they ask all these questions and they start doing all these different things with their friends and acting different ways and we see personality changes because they're trying to figure out does this work for me or does it not work for me Mm -hmm. and then whatever's left over from 14 to 21 we're still doing that but because we're going through such a rapid um amount of growth and the brain is stretching and evolving and stuff like that we're so hormonal as teenagers into adulthood that pretty much skews our vision and a lot of stuff that when whenever you're talking about emotions, you're talking about the limbic system, which is very much a big part of the subconscious response. We're talking about the nervous system and all that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that affects our ability. Anything that messes with the limbic system, whether it's food or an emotional experience, because food, caffeine, alcohol, sugar, right all these different things you know whatever crap is in the air now that they're spraying out there all these things affect the limbic system and we don't realize that the reason why we are doing things is because we're just having our cage rattled essentially on a subconscious level and when you're in stress you play out the negative programming in the subconscious right
0: okay that's interesting. I, I just, I haven't really thought of it that way. When you're in stress, you play out the negative subconscious programming.
1: Exactly. And so it's like being in prison because 95% of our lives is dominated by the subconscious mind.
0: <laughs> well, right. And so, you know, that is, I suppose, where the mindfulness comes in, right? To If you want to break through that, you do have to be more mindful and not just, you know, constantly running on autopilot. You have to right. be more mindful and notice the things that trigger you to to do something so you know like for example the person who's smoking like okay well notice that you want to smoke when you're watching that show you know yeah
1: (laughs) the most recent example is Bridget Jones's diary so this lady you know loves this movie Mm -hmm. and she's been self-sabotaging for 20 years well just about the period of time Bridget Jones's diary has been out
0: (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's sort of like you're programming yourself okay this is an interesting um line of thinking that i would maybe like to go into just a little bit so i've in the last maybe year or so have been watching a lot of movies from my childhood right and even just movies that like i liked as you know in college or whatever and I watch these movies and I notice things like that where I'm like, wow, I did not realize how much the energy of this movie or the mood of it or like how much this informed my life, how much I attached or identified myself based on, you know, this or that character that I resonated with or this or that character that I really felt, you know, like I really loved when I watched this movie as a kid or whatever, you know, like Secret Garden for me is one of them. Um, And I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but it's like, you know, a young girl whose parents die and she it's there's kind of a mother wound that she's left not able to heal to some degree. Right. So I I kind of got into that space a little bit of, you know, are some of those things that I perceive as like an inner child trauma or childhood trauma? are right. some of those part of subconscious programming that came from the movies that i liked and watched that i didn't recognize were informing my perception of my own reality.
1: Mhm. You know. Absolutely. And you you noticed that you said that there's things that you watched when you were in college that shaped you in the exact same way.
0: Yeah. So, so it
1: it's it's not specific to any time period. Right. It programmed at any time and you can take on like you correctly said someone else's identity and you can begin to wear that skin
0: right mm-hmm. okay so how yeah, how, how do we practice mindfulness go ahead yeah
1: i was gonna say the best example of that is like look at a kid that just wants to be rebellious they want to feel like they they realize somehow that something's wrong in society they don't fit in and so suddenly they're emo or goth or something like that, and they mm-hmm. begin to live into that personality. That's exactly what it is. You emulate common behavior. And if you feel like you can identify with something, well, whenever you attach your identity to you, it will become that thing. And humans love labels. They love to have these predetermined ideas about the self and about other people. When in reality, it is so random, you know, that... It's hard to get a hold of that. And so mindfulness, to answer your question, mindfulness really is not what people have been told to think it is. It's not breathing exercises, although breathing is a big part of awareness. Mm -hmm. Because when you breathe consciously, most people are not breathing correctly. Most people are breathing very shallowly. And that's because their nervous system is shocked. And they're exposed to overstimulating things the screens for example Mm -hmm. overstimulate and um, trigger adverse reactions in the limbic system it's always on fight or flight it's always on on some level Mm -hmm. Um, I, i listed caffeine sugar all these different things there's so much poison in the environment that if you can't consciously breathe you're always going to be in a state of constant reactivity but what happens when you consciously breathe and and you are focusing on the sensation of the air coming through your nasal passageway all the mm-hmm. way up into here. And you exhale and you're focusing on the stomach coming in on the okay. exhale and touching the belly button touches. Mm-hmm. It touches that vagus nerve, which resets the nervous system. Okay. Okay. Right? So essentially, you stay as calm as you could potentially be, even if in the face of a direct threat, you can stay much calmer and make better decisions because that slows down the frequency of your thoughts. It rearranges those thoughts into the most pressing issue, and it puts it right in front of you like this. And the subconscious mind is essentially asking you one question. Is it okay to keep this? And it says, hey, look at this. And it will show you an image, you will hear a sound, you will have an emotion. It depends on what your dominant senses are uh, in terms of visual, auditory, kinesthetic, which is emotional, feeling, Mm -hmm. olfactory, and gustatory, which is smell and taste. So,
0: So this is really interesting to me. I was actually just having a conversation with my sister like the other day about because I've been doing yoga recently, because I am trying to get more into my body, get out of my mind, right? And, and slow down that constant wheel that's going, right? And I was saying to her, I notice that I can't breathe in as deeply or as long as I can breathe out, Right. And so this thing that you're talking about of people not breathing correctly, it's it, like I've had this in my mind for quite a while, actually, of like it's somehow I'm not breathing correctly. And how is that possible when my body breathes for me? I like I'm not thinking about breathing all day long. Right. Yeah. Like my, because, my body's doing that.
1: Yeah, because the subconscious is doing that. But as a child, this would be the real childhood trauma, perhaps as the child or a teenager or at some point you learn to breathe incorrectly because you were shocked by something and you began to mimic the patterns of breathing of other people to try to reset yourself and so you just learn to breathe incorrectly you learn to breathe shallowly and plus doctors don't really help doctors know damn well that it's the diaphragm that's the primary organ for breathing That it pushes under the lungs like this and the lungs expand as a consequence of that movement mm-hmm. but they still always talk about the lungs. If you're an asthmatic, the first thing they focus on is the lungs, and not what the diaphragm's doing. That's right? interesting.
0: <laughs> so, well, okay, but that that so, if you're mindfully breathing, then you're saying so, like you should be focused on your diaphragm, not necessarily the air entering into your lungs. Is that?
1: You shouldn't be focused on any of that. You should really just be. Focusing on the sensation of the breath, like I just described,
0: okay, going
1: into your nasal passageway and brushing against the back of your throat, and then on the exhale, you feel it leaving your nasal passageway okay. and what you can try to notice for yourself is you would put one hand on underneath your belly button and you want to notice if when you inhale it comes out or comes in because a lot of people I've had to correct so many people in their breathing where, they inhale, and the stomach comes out, right? Okay. Or Or it comes in, it comes in, and that's not how it works. When you inhale, your stomach should expand. Okay. And when you exhale, it should come down and touch that vagus nerve, right? Okay. And so let's try to help your problem here uh, very quickly. So I think, yeah, we have enough time.
2: Where yeah, I, I
0: Yeah, I want to be mindful of your time for sure, but yeah, if you... If we can squeeze this in as and I'll use myself as an example for the audience, I'm happy to because I this is exactly something that, like I said, I've I've been noticing about myself.
1: Right. So just because this is your first time, I'll ask you to close your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I want you to pretend that you are breathing almost as if you're sipping through a straw, very slowly and very lightly, and you're just focusing on the sensation of the air, the temperature of the air, how fast it's moving, all that going up through your nasal passageway and brushing against the back of your throat. Once you feel it brushing against the back of your throat, that's the first part that you've gotten right there. Now you focus consciously on the exhale and again you're feeling the air leaving your nose and as it's leaving your nose, you very lightly put attention on your belly button and what is it doing so repeat that and see how far out is your stomach coming when you inhale and how far in is your stomach going when you exhale
0: I don't know it's interesting it does seem like when i breathe in my belly goes out further than when i exhale like it doesn't seem like it goes back as much as like, so it's like I fill my my belly with more air than I release, even though I think I'm breathing out for longer. Right.
1: You feel like you're breathing out for longer, but yet the stomach doesn't come all the way in is what you're saying. Right. So at on the bottom of the exhale, what I would ask you to do is try to get as much air out through your nostrils as possible and then through your mouth, go because what what happens try to get as much air out through your nostrils as possible on the exhale and then when you reach that point where you feel like you can't get any more out through your nose and you go (sighs) with your mouth because what happens is that air gets trapped in there and so we have stale air in there That stops it from coming all the way in. So what you want to do is get as much out through here Mm -hmm. because your nose is always for breathing. This is for emergencies, right? Okay. If you're really, this is why we hyperventilate because your body's in an emergency, right? Right. And you're trying to get as much air in there as possible when you hyperventilate, right?
0: That's, That's interesting cuz I notice I also like have a tendency even when I'm like thinking or concentrating hard to like hold my breath and I'll catch yes. myself and be like why are you? like just cuz you're thinking yes. doesn't mean you have to not be breathing <laughs> like what are yes. you doing
1: Exactly and so we naturally breathe the way that I'm describing to you as babies and something happens and we learn the wrong pattern right So just at the bottom of that exhale you feel like you've got it all out you go <sighs>
2: Okay, And you might
1: notice, okay, because I'm talking to you right now. Yeah, I'm talking to you right now. And the reason why I'm talking to you right now is because I'm holding air in my belly. So if I go, and I talk to you, you notice what happens. So if I go, you notice what happens. Again, I'm running out. But there's still a bit of something in there, right? Right. So the idea is to expel that. And then that helps you reset your breath a little bit. And you can begin to consciously breathe as you're talking. It's actually not difficult to do as you're talking to me. I
0: I am trying to notice it. Yeah. So listen and Just bringing
1: your focus to here. Because Mm -hmm. what I will tell you something that's very interesting. When people are under threat, their nostrils flare, right? Right. the The body's automatically doing that for that purpose because it knows that breathing is equal to every experience that we have in life. So it wants to self-regulate itself by getting you to breathe correctly. So instead of going into threat mode, you can stay relatively neutral all the time by just consciously focusing on your nostrils. Interesting focusing on the sensation, right? And that, that will help is... you in your yoga and with the mindfulness. The reason I... why I say mindfulness isn't what we've been told it
2: is mm-hmm.
1: is because it's more about critical thinking. It's more about challenging negative thinking patterns rather than allowing things to just pass you by or more than just being aware of how you think and how you feel and then not doing anything about it right it's really about questioning frameworks learning how to speak to yourself because that changes the way that you interact with your environment. Anyways, I know you have questions.
0: <laughs> I well, No, I just this is all really very fascinating to me because this is very uh, new and different information, honestly. And I thank you very much. I do appreciate that because that I'm absolutely going to think about that now when I'm doing my yoga, because that is something that sort of interrupts my ability to really get in my body sometimes doing yoga is that I notice my incorrect breathing. I notice the, the offness of it. Right. But. That That's really interesting to me that you're when you're talking about questioning the negative emotions that come up or the, the Nick, ne- can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's something to th- th- it's absolutely correct, you know, mindfulness and, and the things that like certainly I've studied, there is a certain amount of, OK, well, a negative emotion or a negative thing comes up, you know, send it love or tell it, it you know, it's OK. And or yeah, that's you not know, gonna do anything for let you. it let it be. So how how would you confront that differently?
1: Yeah, that doesn't resolve anything. Those methods don't resolve anything. It's just airy-fairy stuff that just kind of pushes it to the side momentarily so you can get by to the next moment in your life and then maybe the next moment after that. But if you really want it gone, you have to have a conversation with it. And Okay, uh, how
0: do you start that?
1: Get let's let's again use you as an example. Sure, let's do it. Give me an example of an incident, an event that happened that you're comfortable sharing with, potentially well, I'll with just, people. Uh, you know,
0: listen, <laughs> m- money is a thing for a lot of people. Right. And I, you know, I, I I want to have a better relationship with my ideas about money because I have, you know, goals for myself and things I want to do creatively or with my podcasts and various things. But even so watch how
1: I'm going to speak to you. Right. The way okay. that I speak to you is the way that I, I would teach my clients to speak to themselves, right? Okay. Go on. You're having challenges with money.
0: Well, not necessarily. It's, I know that it's my sensations or feelings about it. So like the idea of going out to do something that I might want to go out and do with a friend, for example, and then feeling guilty for spending that money, right? And that sort of lackful mindset of, well, it's not going to come back and you shouldn't be spending that money on something, frivolous or fun when you know you have like other obligations right okay, so
1: let's pause real quickly right there because that's you're right on top of it right there right okay you said what it was and then you went on to try to qualify it and explain it away so that's because we have something, I like to call it a self-justification index. It's like a Rolodex. You remember those of all the reasons yes, why but I, we I, can or cannot do something or why we should feel a certain way in relation to something, right?
0: I have to write that down. Self-justification index.
1: Yeah, that's what I like to call it. I like and that a just, lot. Every time we say something, we justify it, right? Yes. And that's because the mind is a meaning-making machine, Mm-hmm. And so we unconsciously assign meanings to everything all the time. And so a meaning essentially is why, right? Right. But we don't ever ask ourselves what. What is the reason? Okay. What is the purpose? Because as you've probably heard already, everything that we do, everything we say, everything we believe, everything we feel, we. Do say, think, feel those things because it serves us in some way, which means it has a purpose. Right. So what I've learned to do and what I do with my clients is I say, so for what purpose? So you were right on top of it just now. You said sometimes you have things you want to do, you want to go out, but you can't justify a good reason for doing it because you will feel guilty. Right. You feel guilty for what purpose? So I ask myself, for what purpose do I feel guilty?
0: Okay, that's interesting. I because I I like I know it's not useful to me to feel guilty, so I can't like come up with a like. Well, what would be the what is the purpose of that?
1: Exactly. So we and we have all these different voices in our heads, which are the justifications or the reasons because we're what like it's like the devil and the angel thing. One right. is trying to justify this thing, and the other is saying. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that, and just becomes a war in your head, right?
0: Absolutely. Well, the The back and forth duality is, yes, it, that isn't that what we're all trying to meditate ourselves into, quieting our mind from doing that.
1: Right, and unfortunately, that still doesn't solve the problem. So again, let's go back on it. Mm-hmm. You can't think of any good reason for it, right?
0: No, because I know it doesn't serve me.
1: And and what does that mean?
0: that it do you mean that what does it mean that it doesn't serve me i know that i i am not you know based on the way that i view you know like the universe i know i'm i'm not in a place of receiving or noticing the good or noticing opportunities or or whatever it is when i am not in a good feeling place so feeling guilty i know puts me in an emotional vibrational state where i'm not going to notice the good things about my life that i i want to notice
1: right okay and what does that mean
0: this is i feel like i'm really being tested here like this gets <laughs> yeah, I'm a little testing bit it's getting difficult you.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly i'm teaching you okay you know the first thing that comes to mind is usually the right thing right and so that's what you're questioning okay so when you say that because of your feelings about everything you don't notice the opportunities that you have in your life for what purpose
0: for what purpose am i not noticing opportunities mm-hmm. for what purpose again that i can't see any purpose to that
1: could it potentially be to stay safe
0: because right because something you... new and different is unknown and if i don't know for sure that it's gonna work out okay or to my highest good or whatever I pick the thing, I it's that self-sabotage of I go to the worst case scenario of the choice or the opportunity instead of playing out what if it did work, what if it was really great kind of thing. So, uh, yes, I do have, I know that I have that where I go right, to that so worst the, case scenario.
1: And so the program that you're telling me that you have right there is I don't understand what it feels like to be safe.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: And then there's other thoughts, feelings, and ideas that go along with that that would need to be unpacked. So if you were my client, what I would do is we would tackle that first. We would get that out of you because what happens is that a subconscious program is like a box of cereal. You know how a box of cereal like Captain Crunch has each individual piece of cereal Yeah. Pour that into a bowl and then there's a little bit less in the box, but there's some in the bowl. So the more you use that cereal, the less there is in the box and the box is the program. So the cereal bits are all the ideas and thoughts and different things. When you allow those to clear out, eventually you have to throw away the box. And that's what the mind does. Right. So you have to. But unless you initiate the process, it will stay there forever and ever and ever. Essentially, so that's what I'm saying.
0: Don't shove the unopened cereal box into the cupboard and say it's fine. No,
1: don't put it into the back and say, I'll eat that tomorrow. Spill it you, all out now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: OK. The very so interesting. I like that.
1: Yeah, that's how subconscious programs will. Um, That's how they will present themselves as thoughts or bigger ideas about things even our worldviews, the things Mm -hmm. we think about politics etc we become subconsciously programmed with that in fact politics is one of the biggest religions on the planet
0: oh yeah absolutely
1: and that's you know why we have the era of wokeism and stuff like that because that's all politically correct ideologies and people again are trying to identify with something Many will know that what they think about things are incorrect and they will know that there's more information to understand so that they can better make decisions on certain things Mm -hmm. and it will affect them unconsciously because it's constantly putting the cereal box back in to the cupboard. And so when somebody asks them and challenges them on any particular thing, they'll have a shit fit. They'll, you know they'll start yeah. shouting at you right that's where the real cognitive dissonance comes in and people get really nasty because they're trying to defend that now because they're just accustomed to putting it back in
0: and to not looking at it
1: when in reality whatever it is you think about anything is totally fine as long as you consciously are thinking it for yourself and right it isn't something that is in there on repeat that's been handed to you by experience or the tv or politics or religion or Any other cult like thing.
0: Right. right? The belief structures that we pick up as we go along that, you know, we that don't necessarily actually belong to us. It was just you were trying to attach to something.
1: Exactly. And there's so much stuff that we just do. And it's we never just say, yeah, I really want to do that. It's always we do it. And then after Mm -hmm. the fact, we think we wanted to. So we experience trance like states all the time, essentially, is what I'm saying. And the reason yes. for that is because our brain needs us to spend at least seven hours every day in alpha brainwave state and hypnotic trance so that it can process all of the bits of information that's coming in through all of our senses all the time. Okay. So when we think we are thinking, are we really thinking? How aware are you of how aware you are? That is the number one question. I love Not that. Not very many people are truly fully aware. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have this thing, this phenomenon in psychology called a Johari window, where there's the things about ourselves that we are aware of. There are things about ourselves that other people are aware of. Right. And in those categories can be split into two. There's things that other people are aware of that we aren't aware of of ourselves. There's things that we know about ourselves that other people will never know about ourselves. Right. And what's the first thing that we do when we meet someone new? We put on a facade, Mm -hmm. right? That's a big part of it. So we always see ourselves differently to how other people will see see us. And so we don't see the picture when we're inside of the frame. When we are operating out of subconscious programming, when an idea has become a part of our identity from society or anything like that, or we read a book and we like that idea, we decide to take it on. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't see ourselves acting that way. Other people can see it, but we don't see it. Right. We could be doing it and we could have an idea that something's going on, but we always think that we're consciously doing it until we step back from ourselves and examine it. So that's the power of the conscious breathing. It gives us an opportunity to do that. It gives us an opportunity to survey all the thoughts and emotions and programming that we have because eventually you'll be like wait a minute what was that that just floated past my brain bring that back right
0: yeah that actually does happen to me quite a lot and especially lately maybe because I am kind of doing this work a little bit on myself the
1: yoga has changed you
0: <laughs> yeah no really for sure truly and I do I have those things that will pop up and I will go what was that bring that back if it was a good idea or something right or you'll have subconscious programming come back up that you know you don't like and I'll I have that again what are you where are you coming from I thought I thought we dealt with this you know Mm -hmm. sort of thing so I can you maybe talk a little bit about then so I mean there are all these things that we sort of unconsciously connect attach identify with right Attach to so in in this work that you do what sort of I guess the thing that I I, I think is that once you can kind of clear these things out you can be the truest expression of yourself because isn't that kind of the goal right or at least it's mine how do I be yes. the truest expression of myself and show up authentically even when I do meet someone new how do I change that program that says I have to be something fake in order to be accepted initially but then I'm introducing myself incorrectly to someone. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. What are your values? That's the main thing. Most people that I have met, because um, when I get a new client, I always say, okay, let's work on your values because values are like the rudder for the ship. If that's not working, you can only go in a straight line or wherever the waves take you hmm Essentially. So a lot of people are living their lives thinking they know their values. They might know one or two, but they don't really act from those values. They allow life to dictate everything that they do and they, they get moved tossed all around like a ship on the ocean mm-hmm. with nothing to guide them. And so most people scarily do not choose integrity or authenticity as their top values.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Without integrity, all the other values fall to the ground. If you value compassion or you value connection with other people, but you don't have integrity, you can't back it up. Right. You might do simple things like let's use people pleasing, which is a popular thing yeah. that people talk about these days. Um, the reason why you people please is because you don't value connection because you prioritize doing things that cause you pain, cause you harm. Being seen by others as a particular way you you put that over actually valuing true deep connections and investing energy into yourself first rather you rather than do that, you commit to things that you really don't want to do you you know you go to that family reunion that you don't want right. to go to, or you go hang out with coworkers you feel obligated because you work with them, but you don't actually owe them anything right you just think that people are going to see you as the enemy if you don't conform to that. But if you were sticking to your values, and you put your values first, then you would be able to say, okay, well, I don't like going anywhere with these people, mm-hmm. What, which one of my values will I be violating by doing this, right? Right. And you try to leverage those things, right? And the same thing is true for anything else. Like, if you... If you really have integrity, it means you're going to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do what you're going to do at the time you say you're going to do it and you right. do it with the best of your ability and the fullness of your character and your spirit, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't do that. These days, a lot of people will half-ass everything. They'll go to right. the gym and they'll lift the weights really fast and they'll be like, yeah, look at me. I'm doing my workout. And then they leave and they eat a donut and,
0: <laughs> and then don't you know, stick with it. Get so- some ice
1: cream or something, you know?
0: Yeah. So I, one of the things that's just kind of popping up for me now as we're just, as we're talking is the kind of just the idea of being seen. Right. Which I suppose for me specifically give, you know, it, it goes back to that safety thing of there's a fear of showing up authentically, like a fear of being seen. So, and this is again, that duality argument that I have with myself. I very much want to be seen as my authentic self but then I'm afraid to show up as my authentic self and be seen, right? Oh, yeah,
1: for what purpose?
0: <laughs> right, for what purpose? <laughs> but to make other people comfortable instead of myself, which, how does that serve? To make any... other
1: people comfortable instead of yourself. And right. that means...
0: And that that means... Uh, you, uh, it's, again, see, this is where I get a little bit, you know do I ask myself, where does that come from? Do I ask myself, why do I do that? You know, do I guess the question I have to ask is, do I think I'm worthy of being comfortable myself first? Right. And that's in my mind. Yes. I tell myself that. Right. But I know that I must have something else in the way. If I still think that I can't show up as my authentic self, I still have to make others comfortable. Right, but again, you? again, for what purpose?
1: So the negative affirmation there is: I have to make others comfortable. I have to make myself small to fit in with other people.
0: What? Right. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah, and and to oh, this. See, this is such an interesting. I'm going to be re-listening to this when I edit and just be like, okay, I really need to pick up on like what's going on here for sure. This is something that I'm going to have to sort of integrate. But it, it that is definitely I, what that is for me is that. But
1: I've given you here's what here's what you're doing that you're unaware of. Right. Mm-hmm. And I see it um, because I know what I'm looking for. When I ask you the for what purpose questions or the end that means question, you get right there on the edge of it and you like look that way because you're recalling something. You're trying to recall something. And in a very short space of time, what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to change it because you subconsciously, you know that you're right on top of it. So you will say the thing and you'll say it to me eventually. Okay. And, but in your language, there's like a but in there or, a, you know, a pause, you, a hesitation. You, you're like trying to get around it somehow, but it still comes out of your mouth anyway. Right. Right. And you'll see what I mean when you listen back to this.
0: I, I do again. Okay. So what what's, what is that, that looking away to try to recall it's something? Just,
1: it, it's just a loop. It's just a loop. That's what we do. We we often want to present ourselves in a different way because of the programming. Subconsciously, we loop back over ideas. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times we've thought of these things before. So we're trying to recall, oh, wait a minute. Is that really true? Here's the, the information. Our eyes tell us a lot about what's going on, you know? Is That's that really, interesting. Is, is that really what's going on? Is, you know is, uh, did something happen you know that's what was going on really quickly behind the scenes we're trying to survey through all of this information really quickly to see if the thing that we're about to say is really the truth or not <laughs>
0: yeah no to, to, am i am i going to say the correct thing so it is it's that my mind is is saying you know are you finding the right answer right and
1: because like I said to you everybody already knows what the problem is right it's just that we get so accustomed being in a pattern where we're negative about it we ignore it Mm -hmm. right and we get accustomed shoving it under the rug so we try to to recollect what we did the last time we shoved it under the rug what's the last thing we said to ourselves what's the last excuse I made what's the last justification I had for keeping this behavior right is this something i really want to deal with right now you know and we start looking over that. yeah
0: <laughs> that's so interesting wow, similarly that's... if
1: we if we want to cover it up and we want to make up something else well we might be like oh damn it no. how do i finagle this into something yeah else? how do
0: i finesse this and make myself sound better than i think or, i will if yeah. i answer honestly
1: or if something's really embedded emotionally we start to look up you'll see that all the time
0: OK, but Interesting. when you're talking
1: to somebody, bring up something that triggers them and, and it's really emotional for them. You'll see them do this.
0: Interesting. <laughs> that is very interesting. I, I'm going to watch for that now, the eye movement, uh, you know, and wow, that's really that is very interesting. I really. So are there other things then that. I don't know, maybe you would say to watch for as an individual you know so for someone for again we can use me as as an example so if i'm going to be more mindful of you know i don't see my eyes and where they're going right i can't watch myself necessarily in that way how do i
1: become aware of what we're doing right and it's a process so we just need to ask ourselves how much do we really value integrity because as long as we're telling ourselves lies do we really value integrity the mm-hmm. first person we can't keep our integrity with is ourselves. We're screwed. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And So that's why integrity and authenticity are essentially the same thing. In a lot of cases with values, you'll see values linked together. Um, compassion and, and love and all these things that people like are great. But unfortunately, they become maladaptive when we apply them in, in the wrong context because there's a lot of people that come to me and they don't have any self-compassion. So that would be the first step right there. If you value compassion, do you have self-compassion for yourself? If you value empathy, do you show yourself empathy in your own life? Like, do you really try to understand why you do and say the things that you do? Or are mm-hmm. you just complacent with being like, I don't know, that's just me, right? Right. So we can't get to integrity or authenticity without saying, yeah, is that really me or not? You know?
0: I That is, I think, part of, where my current, like again, just where I'm at with my journey, where a lot of my current confusion is coming from is I'm starting to do a lot of this sort of self-evaluation and then old situations or circumstances or conversations will come up that I know, okay, this old response that I know would be the automatic response I know doesn't align with me but I can't quite, I'm not quite to a spot where I can like immediately pull out the response that does align to me that is authentic. It's like I'm still trying to sort of find that. If that yeah. makes sense.
1: What's the cause to this effect? We live in a complete, um, completely participatory universe mm-hmm. where it's all about cause versus effect. There is no effect without a cause anywhere. And if you Mm -hmm. start thinking in terms of your thinking as an effect of something or the emotions as an effect of something, you can begin to work backwards. It becomes a process essentially of learning to change the way that you relate to yourself inside your head.
0: Yes. And that's the biggest thing that that I'm practicing doing now is very much asking those questions of myself, you know, okay, is this really how you want to respond? Or, you know, this is, this is a negative emotion or a guilt feeling come up. I know I don't want to respond that way internally anymore. You know, it's not just the responses that I have to other people and other interactions. It's the responses that I have to myself and my own inner talk and these conversations or these emotions that come up. And then I stop myself and I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, it's sort of like if you have old programming where you start arguing with like, you know, somebody in your head about something. Right. right? And I've, I've stopped myself doing that. And then I go, why am I doing that?
1: The idea here is to just not get into an argument with yourself. You want to leave the door open for you to be able to say anything to yourself that needs to be said. Because it's not a comfortable environment to be in. And you can imagine that other people's experience of you, might Mm -hmm. be the same because how you speak to yourself is how you treat other people you just might not see it right Right? so the more you can be available for yourself and the more you lean into vulnerability and deep self-reflection the more available you are with other people the more you can connect with other people really quickly
0: yes that i love that so much and i do i i think You know, I do hope this is helpful for other people because it's certainly been helpful for me. I, You know, when you picked out that thing of I don't know what it feels like to be safe, I feel I I feel like I can tie back a lot of things to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the being seen. Are you safe to be seen? You know, so. uh, Is there something in that in terms of like a replacement programming or, you know, if it's something, so okay, if this is an emotion that I haven't experienced to a degree that I can program that subconsciously, how do I then go about creating the so it's just ooh. the opposite.
1: And essentially, the answer to the question you're asking is you just put in the opposite of that program. So if, if a person's saying, I don't understand what it feels like to be loved and accepted, you replace it with, I understand what it feels like to be loved and accepted. And I deeply love and accept myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the programs of self compassion are the same as self acceptance and things like that. Um, Self worth and stuff like that.
0: So I am safe with myself. So that's my. I understand
1: what it feels like to be safe.
0: Right. I understand what it feels like to be safe. Mm -hmm. That's. And then
1: you just knock over those cereal boxes and 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 keep looking at what is.
0: For what purpose do I feel this or that? As the days
1: go by, you will start to notice all these other thoughts will be coming to the surface and you'll be like, oh, where the hell did that come from?
0: uh, Yeah. For
1: what purpose? You know, why am I thinking that?
0: I really do like that question. For what purpose?
1: Mm -hmm. Because. Yeah. Yeah. Because we tend to think of things in terms of why, like I said, why doesn't really quite um, give us the information we need. Mm-hmm. But if we know what we're using it for, like a paintbrush, we know we have this really small one for the details. Right. What do we use the big one for, right?
0: Right. So, for the background. So what yeah. for what purpose have I developed this, I guess, mm-hmm. what is a tool to the subconscious, right? Because the subconscious doesn't see a program as positive or negative the way that we do. It just runs it.
1: Yeah. The Programs just go because the subconscious knows we have to do this thing. It's what keeps us safe, healthy, happy, alive or gets us some other reward. And we got to do that. And, and until somebody presses the reset button, that's what we're going to do until we die.
0: <laughs> right. And that's absolutely where I am at is I want to press the reset button and re-figure out, OK, well, who is the authentic me and how do I give myself permission to show up as the authentic me? Mm-hmm anywhere right not just where it seems appropriate because then you're going back to that you know making other people comfortable which is again for what purpose
2: because making them
0: comfortable and it means not being the actual me and not being the actual me means okay well now I'm making somebody else comfortable that I can't genuinely connect to because I'm not being myself exactly and what is the purpose of that you know that doesn't benefit them any more than it benefits me because they're not having a real connection to the real me either Mm -hmm. i feel like i feel like this has almost just been a therapy session here this has been really fantastic i really do well
1: i told you at the beginning i'm an asshole <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. I absolutely need to be called out on my bullshit, and I am so happy that there are people in this world who will do it because I absolutely need it. I'm here for it. I love it. yeah well, again, I do want to be mindful of your time. so b- before we would close up here, let people know where to find you um and definitely, I will share your links and your information in the description below as well. but. Where can people find you and utilize your services? And because honestly, everybody, everybody go call them because that was amazing. This has been great.
1: Yeah, you can visit my website, Mm -hmm. selfsabotage.xyz. You can send an email to selfsabotageinfo at proton.me. Or you can add me on Instagram at Jahan Sator. That's J-E-H-A-N-S-A-T-T-A-U-R.
0: Awesome. Thank you so, so much for coming to talk to me. Really, I so appreciate this conversation. And I do. I I hope that we can talk again. I feel like there's you have such a wealth of information and knowledge about so many facets of this. You know, you're talking about the limbic system and things that I feel like I need to go down a rabbit hole of research now to learn more about these yeah. things that are, have not been in my sphere yet. So I, I love it. This has been such a great conversation. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was my conversation with Jahan Sator. You can find his information in the links below if you would like to enlist his services. I certainly found all of this conversation and all of the techniques and tips that he told me very helpful. We even had a great conversation after recording the podcast, and I really look forward to being able to talk with him again. If you'd like to support more episodes of the Frankie 411 podcast, you can subscribe to my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Abernathy Franklin. That is the umbrella Patreon for this podcast, as well as my Adventures of Abernathy Franklin fictional podcast that you can check out wherever you're getting this podcast. I do thank you all so much again for listening. I do hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a comment or a review. All the good things that listeners can do. And until next time, wherever you are out there, my earthbound and cosmic friends, I do hope you're doing well.